0: Hello, and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. me in again, welcome. Glad that you're here this evening. We just wanted to take a few moments and kind of dive into God's Word especially this time of year at Christmas where the Word of God had come to us in a manger. We're so very thankful. You know, tomorrow morning, uh, we'll celebrate the birth of Jesus. And the birth of Christ is and was a tremendously amazing thing. Frederick Speakman, in his book called The uh, The Salty Tang, put it this way. He said, on that night, it was silent, but yet there was music. It was dark, but yet there was such great light. Crazy to think about all this, but Bethlehem, as you know, almost missed it. Remember, there was no room in the inn. The birth of the firstborn is supposed to be a really big deal, right? It's usually filled with all kinds of family and friends. I know when we had our firstborn, man, it was a a really big deal. But think about it, if you will, on... Mary's firstborn, the birth of her firstborn child, Mary kind of found herself without friends. She didn't have anybody around. She didn't even have her family, much less a clean environment. Can you imagine all the animals and what that meant? In the hour of her childbirth, her bed was straw and a stable. And when the baby was born, with those trembling, shaking hands, she wrapped him in cloths and laid him as the scripture tells us in a manger. Down the hillside from that small village was a group of just common shepherds. While the birth of Christ kind of went unannounced in Bethlehem, the shepherds had a surprise visit from heaven itself. The angels announced the birth of Christ and offered this incredible praise, and the shepherds said to one another what we just heard our brother read, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us, Luke two fifteen. And so those shepherds came and they found him. And then the Bible tells us in Luke two twenty that they returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, just as it was told them. Now nestled on the top of a Judean mountain, about six miles south of Jerusalem, Bethlehem had a long and memorable history. If you've been with us in our church, you you know that a couple of weeks ago we we talked about Bethlehem. It's first mentioned in Scripture where Rachel died, and her heartbroken husband Jacob buried her just right outside the city. That's in Genesis 35. It was in Bethlehem where Ruth, Moabitess, fell in love with Boaz, the lord of the harvest, we read in the book of Ruth. It was in that same village that David, as a boy, tended the sheep of his father and where he was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. It was in Bethlehem, centuries before the coming of Christ, that Micah, as we read, foretold would be the birthplace of the coming Messiah. This one would be our peace. As we walk through Bethlehem today, it is still a very small village on the side of the same hill. And about 50,000 residents call this little town in this Palestinian-controlled West Bank. They call Bethlehem their home. Today, their tiny streets are invaded by over one million visitors every year. Each of these pilgrims is there to visit the cave, the supposed birthplace of Christ, which happens to rest underneath a large Byzantine Greek Orthodox church, which has been there since 530 A.D., itself, that, that church was built over the uh, structure by Helena, who was Constantine's mother, in about 325. Today, you read about it in the news. Bethlehem is a very troubled village. It's awaiting, like every other city in the world, the coming of the Prince of Peace. Our Lord was born into an environment in Bethlehem much like the one that prevails today, Both the Jews of Jesus' day and the Palestinians of modern times are subservient to the economic interests of both their richer and more powerful neighbors. Both were in refugee camps or small villages alongside a culture that was more modern and influential, but both of them we see were victims of disgust and yes, even discrimination. Both groups had an element within them that was prone to calling for armed revolt and violence. But it was into that kind of environment, just like ours today, that the Lord Jesus came to be born. So I wonder tonight, just for the next few moments, if you would travel with me, as did Mary and Joseph, to this place called Bethlehem. And As we go, I want to ask ourselves a question, and that is is simply kind of where we're headed is, is, is my life of Bethlehem. I think that we, like those shepherds, if we're here tonight and we're really listening, I think the Lord wants to show us what really awaits in Bethlehem. The Lord longs for each of us to become a Bethlehem in our own right. That is, he wants us to be this person of potential, this, these people of providence, these people with incredible privilege of being visited by the Lord. First thing that kind I want you to show tonight is is this, that Bethlehem is a place of potential. Bethlehem is an incredible place of potential. I mean, think about it. Of all the places for Messiah to be born, God chose Bethlehem. And in the words of Micah, it's little among the thousands of Judah. One certainly would have expected the Messiah to be born in Jerusalem, or at least in one of the other larger, more prominent cities, right? But God always has a way of dwelling among the lowly. God says in Isaiah 57, I dwell on high and I dwell in a holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. You see, Bethlehem reminds us that the small shall be great, the last shall be first and that God brings strength from weakness and brings from the base things of the world, he brings incredible value and that nothing that God touches is valueless. You see, Bethlehem is a place of potential I don't know really where you come from tonight. I don't know what you're bringing in with you. I don't know what you'll go out and face when you leave here. But I can just, almost the size of a crowd, I can almost rest assured that there's somebody in this room that feels insignificant. There's probably somebody that's here tonight that feels they're worth very little. There's somebody here tonight that probably feels Like no one even notices them, that they're almost invisible. Can I just remind you tonight that you are loved? And just like Bethlehem, you have incredible potential. So may it be that your life would be tonight like Bethlehem, but maybe it could be that you just haven't simply awakened to that potential. As God looks upon us tonight, he doesn't see us for what we are or what we've done. God sees us for what we can become. Do you remember Simon Peter's first encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lord looked at Simon and saw him for not who he was, but for what he would become. Because he says to Simon, he says, you are Simon, which means small pebble but you shall be called Cephas, which means a rock. You see, Jesus saw the potential that was in his life, knowing that he would even deny him three times. Three and a half years later, Peter reached that potential and became the undisputed leader of the church in Jerusalem. As the Lord looks into your life and my life, he sees us for not what we are now, for what we become. And that is a part of, the message of Bethlehem. It's a place of potential. It was little among the villages of Judah, but what potential it had. You see, listen to me, hear me very carefully tonight, that your life is a place of potential. God did not come to Caesar's palace to be born, nor to Herod's court, but very quietly, almost unannounced and somewhat incognito, he arrived in this seemingly insignificant little town, but a place of tremendous potential. Again, God is reminding us That though you may feel very insignificant in the eyes of the world, you have all the potential in the world through God. Bethlehem is this place of potential. And because of that little baby Jesus, I want you to know that you have incredible potential tonight. You are a person of potential. The second thing I want to share with you is this. Not only is Bethlehem this place of potential, but Bethlehem is a place of providence. It's a place of providence. Many centuries before Christ's birth, God foretold through his prophets that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the promised Messiah of Israel. When reports spread of the birth of the king, Herod asked the chief priest the location of the king and and where he would be born. And he quickly found out that they said he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. But you see, there's a problem. I mean, how could that be? I mean, Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. And Nazareth was over 70 miles and several days' journey away to the north. I mean, Bethlehem is not simply a place of potential. You have to see it's this place of of providence because God still works in the affairs of all men by his sovereign will and his sovereign design. Well, how do I get there? Well, remember, Luke begins the story of Christmas and he tells his narrative by saying, And it came to pass. In those days that a decree went forth from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. But in reality, there's so much more behind that verse. The decree was not issued by Caesar. Really, beloved, that that decree was issued by God himself. I mean, it was divine providence. It was divine providence moving Caesar to to issue that decree. Caesar was just simply water in God's hand. There's ever a place of providence. It was Bethlehem. And God put the whole world in motion to fulfill his word to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. You see, God is still at work in our world today. Daniel tells me in chapter four, Daniel says the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. Solomon says in Proverbs 21 that the king's heart is, is always in God's hand. God is moving behind the scenes in world affairs today. He is putting the whole world in motion to fulfill his word. Bethlehem is a place of providence, even, even though the Jews of the first century world couldn't see it. I mean, put yourself in their place just for a moment. They were oppressed by an invading government to whom they despise paying taxes. They were inconvenienced and incurred unexpected expenses in order to travel to Bethlehem to register for the Roman tax. They must have wondered, where is God? And all the while, it was the hand of God's providence behind the whole affair to get them to Bethlehem. The same is true for us tonight. Many things which may appear on the surface as problems may be nothing short of the hand of God getting us to our own Bethlehem. Perhaps tonight you may feel inconvenienced, just like Mary did. I mean, think about that. Think about how inconvenient she must have felt. I mean, she traveled 70 miles on the back of a donkey over some of the most rugged terrain imaginable while in her final trimester of pregnancy. Some of us would have a hard time driving to Bastrop, right? Just in a diesel truck, But Mary travels 70 miles on the back of a donkey ready to deliver a baby. All the while, God is moving behind the scenes, orchestrating by his providence your situation, your circumstances, even allowing certain things to take place that do not seem like they're your benefit. Why? Because God's moving you to Bethlehem so that you might see your potential and you might see his providence. You see, your life as a Bethlehem, Bethlehem reminds us that God fulfills his word and what he promises, he performs, no matter how how big the obstacles may seem to be. And if I begin to doubt some of his promises that he's made to me, I remember tonight. I just remember Bethlehem because of the baby Jesus. My life has tremendous potential. Your life has tremendous potential as well as it's under the providence of God. One last thought I want to leave with you is while Bethlehem may be a place of potential and it may be this great, great place of providence, Bethlehem is also a place of privilege. It's a place of, a place of privilege. I mean, what, what an awesome privilege to be handpicked, handpicked by God to be the city of the birthplace of the king. I mean, of all the cities in the world, why Bethlehem? Why not Jerusalem? I mean, Jerusalem is the seat of religious power in that day. Why? Because God was sending a message. The hope of the world, listen very carefully. I don't want you to be confused. The hope of the world is not in religion. I mean, why not Rome then? It's not about religion. I mean, why not Rome? Because God wants us to know that the hope of the world is not found in political power. What about Athens? Well, God wants us to know that the hope of the world, listen very carefully. In this time of year, you've got to hear me say this. The hope of the world is not in politics, friend. why not pick one of the other places? Why don't we go to different places? Because the hope of the world is not in philosophy. It's not in intellect. It's not in any of that kind of thing. God privileged the little town of Bethlehem because the hope of the world is in a Savior. And Bethlehem is the place where that Savior would be born. You see, the Lord Jesus came on a mission to Bethlehem. And you have to know that Christmas is not about the thrills and the giggles. If we were to be really honest tonight, Christmas is really bloody. Because you can't have a Christmas without a cross. See, Jesus was born for a purpose. And 33 years after he was born, he would make his ways outside the city of Jerusalem. And he would die upon a cross. But you have to understand that cross was placed in Jerusalem and it was privileged to be that place. And when the moment came, most of the village and most of the place around the cross, even with the cradle or the cross, most people were missing it. So how are we going to recognize these moments? Speakman says so often they show up like any other moment. And so often we are so occupied or so convinced something else is going to happen that we miss what is most important. And the danger is we let the moments go and never know what could have become of it. Much like the Bethlehem innkeeper who said, I have no room. You see, this very chapter of your life tonight could be a Bethlehem moment for you. Bethlehem uh, could be the place where you awaken to incredibly new life. You see, what I'm trying to tell you is, is listen, the same Jesus who was born in Bethlehem can be born again in you tonight. It can happen. Paul puts it this way, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. If we think Bethlehem is privileged to be the birthplace of our Lord, what a greater privilege for him to be born in us. When much of the world has never, never even heard of his sweet name, what a privilege it is for those who bear his name to know that he's been born in us. What a privilege. Philip Brooks was the pastor of Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia in the 19th century. In 1865, he made a personal pilgrimage to Israel, the Holy Land. And it took Brooks several weeks on board a ship to make it there. But on Christmas Eve, he made his way from Jerusalem to Bethlehem by horseback. The scene and experience were forever etched in his mind. Back home in Philadelphia during the Christmas season of 1868, his mind was flooded with memories of his earlier trip to Bethlehem during Christmas. And so Philip Brooks sits at his desk and words begin to flow from his pen to the paper. And he penned the words that night that we believers have sung for over a century now entitled this, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Thinking of Bethlehem, Philip Brooks puts it this way. He says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Yeah, that's right. All the hopes and fears of Bethlehem were met that night. Christina Rossetti put that night, what it looked like that night, in the following poetic language. She says this. That night when shepherds heard the song of angelic hosts caroling near, a deaf man turned in slumber spell and dreamed that he could hear. That night when in the cattle stall slept mother and child in humble fold, a cripple turned his twisted limbs and dreamed that he was whole. That night when, over the newborn babe, a tender mother rose to lean, a loathsome leper smiled in sleep and dreamed that he was clean. That night when the mother's breast, the little king held secure, A harlot slept a happy sleep and dreamed that she was pure. That night when in a manger lay the Holy One who came to save, a man in the sleep of death dreamed there was no grave. What shall be our gift to him? What shall I give to him as poor as I am? If I was a shepherd, I would give him a lamb. But if I were a wise man, I'd do my part. What shall I give him? I know. I will give him my heart. And when we do, we too become this place of potential, of providence and privilege. Tonight I want you to know that maybe you didn't come here by happenstance or you didn't arrive here because of accident. I believe that the Lord brought you here tonight to hear these wonderful words. The Bible is really about the story of Jesus. And Christmas is definitely all about Jesus. It's the mass of the Christ, Christ mass. Where he comes to take away our sins. And so tonight as we begin to close and as those who would sing and we begin to light the candles, if they begin to make their way, I wanted to share this with you. The Bible tells us very clearly that God designed for you and I to walk and to talk with him. The Bible says that we were created in his image, and out of the dust, God formed us, and he breathed life into Adam and, and told Adam, hey, look, man, you can eat of all the things that are out here in this place I've created for you, but don't eat of this tree over here. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you're going to die. Well, Adam didn't necessarily, I think, really truly understood the depth of what that meant. Nevertheless, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and they experienced something that God never desired. That night, they experienced death. Death, what way, how? Well, they died physically. How how do you know that, Steve? Well, they're not here today. Why did they die? Well, because there was a tree in the garden called the Tree of Life. And they were supposed to eat of it, but see, when they sinned, God kicked them out of the garden because God can not allow presence that sin to be in his presence. So he he put these two cherubim over the entrance to get back into the where the tree of life was. And so if they couldn't eat of the tree of life, guess what? They would die. But then they may not have realized it just as like sometimes we don't. But man, not only were they going to die physically, but they were already dead spiritually. How do I know that? Because they were no longer in direct presence with God. And that's how we come into the world. You and I are all dead spiritually. We're separated from God and we will die physically. But you see, the good news of Christmas is simply this. That God knows that we're sinners by choice and by birth. And he knows there's nothing we can do to get back into his presence and to get back to life. So God sends Jesus, for God so loves the world that he sends Jesus, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't die but have everlasting life. There it is, death and life again. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The Bible says that if I believe that Jesus died for me and was buried and rose again, that I could have life. What is this all about? Well, simply it's this. Jesus came as life, and he died in my place and was raised again to give me everything that I lost because of sin. That's the beautiful gift of Christmas. still all about a tree. I don't know if many of you understand that this tree is very symbolic. The lie of the world hangs on a tree. and enters into our darkness to set us free. If you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I just challenge you tonight? Let me just tell you a few things that, as we begin to maybe prepare our hearts just to sing a little bit back to him. Can I I just tell you this? I I really want you to hear my heart just for a second. Receiving Jesus doesn't mean that you've got to clean all your stuff up and come to him. It means you just come to him just as you are. He'll take care of all that cleaning up. But Jesus didn't come to make you better. He didn't come to make you more moral. I know a lot of people that are more moral than I am who don't know Jesus. So my problem wasn't that I needed to be better. My problem was that I needed to be brought to life. And Jesus has come to bring you from death to life, and you need that. This isn't about being good or cleaning up my act or I don't want to be a hypocrite because you're going to sin after you come to Jesus. The question is, are you just going to have it paid for or not? There's nobody in this room who knows Jesus who hasn't been a hypocrite at some point, right? Because that's not what this is about. It's about death to life. So if you need your sin forgiven, if you need to know, man, that I can be forgiven, that I can be brought from death to life, that I can have all my sin forgiven and I can have a home in heaven with God, but I can have life with God right now and find out all your potential, find out about his providence, find out about having this privilege of knowing Christ personally. So I'm just gonna ask you to do something even right here in this room. Would you just pray with me and just maybe confess this to the Lord God? This is the desire of your heart, not just from your head. And you're just thinking that's a good idea. This is not for you, I don't think. There's just overwhelming desire in your heart that you're saying, man, I need my sin forgiven. It's just been working. God's been working on you. And tonight, there's just this strong desire in you to just turn to Jesus. Then this is for you. Maybe you just say some words like this. And maybe if, if you folks could just pray around you. Uh, those maybe who this isn't for you, maybe you just start to pray for those that are around you. Maybe we would just, just everybody just kind of, just honor this moment and just begin to pray. Maybe you've got some family. Maybe you've got some friends and you want to just begin to pray, Lord Jesus, this Christmas, would you save my family and friends? But those tonight who, who don't know the Lord and you want to know him, would you just kind of call out to him in the best way you know how and say something like this, Jesus, this Christmas, I realize that I am a great sinner. I've turned my own way. I've done my own things. And tonight I want to come home to you. I want to turn from my sin and my ways. And I want to repent. I want to turn to you, Jesus. Would you please forgive me? Would you make me whole? Would you bring me to life? I believe that you died on a cross to pay for my sin. You were buried in a tomb to cover my sin. And you were raised again to give me victory over my sin. And I receive you as my Lord. Thank you for Christmas. Now may my life be a Bethlehem where I give you glory and honor all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, beloved, if you prayed a prayer like that from your heart, and I'd love to know about it, some other folks in here love to know about it just because we want to help you. We want to help you grow. We want to help you celebrate the rest of what Christmas is all about. But tonight, let's celebrate this by lighting some lights and singing about this place called Bethlehem together. So I wonder if you have your candles, if you go ahead and take those. And I wonder if you'd stay in your feet with me. Let's pass on this light that came to us, whose name is Jesus.